You're listening to a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hi, I'm Dr Joanna Lawrence and I'm here today with Associate Professor Ed Oakley, Emergency Physician and Chief of Critical Care. Ed, thank you for coming today. As a clinician, one of the many things you're respected for is your ability to handle those tricky conversations. And today we're specifically talking about how to talk about not ordering tests, treatments and procedures with both colleagues and patients. So perhaps we'll start there. Why are we worried about this? Look, I think in a large amount of what we do, Joe, um, ordering tests and intervening in our patients is what comes natural to us. Sure. There's a lot of downside to doing that when it's not necessary. Mm. There's discomfort to the patient, there's the use of staff time, there's costs to the organisation. So if we can avoid those things where they're not necessary, then we benefit everyone in the system. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's now known as low value care and has been talked about and gaining increasing traction worldwide. And it seems pretty obvious, doesn't it, that we shouldn't be doing tests that don't help the management and can, of course, cause our patients harm. But we still do these things from time to time. Why do you think that is? Look, I think there's lots of reasons for that. Uh, As I said, our natural instinct is to want to do things. I think we also have an instinct to be wanting to do the right things and sometimes we feel that more information might help us get a better answer, whereas that's often not the case. Mm. Often more information doesn't help us or misleads us in the answer. We act on results that shouldn't influence what we do, but we allow them to. I think there are other influences as well. I think there's pressure from other people for us to do things. There's pressure from Mm -hmm. families. they will often feel that we're doing more by doing more intervention or more painful things to their children. Uh, And potentially pressure from other sources like a GP or someone who's referred the family in with them giving the expectation that we're going to do a number of things for the child. Absolutely. And um, can you give us an example of what a low value care practice might be here at the Children's? Yeah, I think the most topical example for us is probably interventions in bronchiolitis. Mm -hmm. Those interventions specifically that we know are of no value in a typical patient with bronchiolitis are chest x-ray, giving salbutamol, doing blood tests. There are other medications that are of no value. We tend to use them in a pretty uh, small number Mm. of patients. So from a medication point of view, I think concentrating on salbutamol is useful to us. Yeah. And so if we have a patient with obvious bronchiolitis and a chest x-ray has no value and in fact can cause unnecessary radiation and increase the length of stay um, and it also leads to increased antibiotic prescribing, doesn't it? Yeah, there's no question that in bronchiolitis in most cases the chest x-ray should not be normal. It should show signs of uh, inflammatory mm. lung disease. That's often overinterpreted as infection and of course bronchiolitis is an infection, but as a bacterial infection. So there's about a ninefold increase in use of antibiotics in patients who have a chest X-ray. Yeah, and that's bad. So uh, certainly something we want to be avoiding. What about if you think it is pneumonia? Should you do a chest X-ray then? Yeah, look, in community-acquired pneumonia, which most of these patients will have the suspicion of, uh, the role of the chest X-ray is actually pretty small. The only role is for patients who have significantly complicated pneumonia. So if you think a child, even an infant, 
has community-acquired pneumonia on clinical grounds, then you should treat it sure. on clinical grounds. So better to rely on clinical skills yep. than on a For both pneumonia and bronchiolitis. Perfect. What about those cases where um, you might be worried about an, an effusion? Sure. I think if you think the child has pneumonia and you think that there's uh, possibly an effusion there, it shouldn't actually change your decision-making as far as doing a chest X-ray. The chest X-ray is indicated only in children who have severe pneumonia. By definition, having severe pneumonia, you have to be significantly and seriously unwell. So if you're not seriously unwell, either going to go home or being able to be admitted to the general ward, then there's almost no indication for a chest X-ray. Right, so we really should be reserving chest X-rays for those children who are unwell enough to perhaps warrant an ICU review or be causing enough alarm about bowels that we want further information to add to the clinical picture. Yeah, right? I'd agree with that. Right. And what about bronchodilators? You mentioned that anti-asthmatic medications are not um, recommended in bronchiolitis. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, salbutamol is the one medication that is used the most in bronchiolitis. Uh, um, in some of our patient populations, up to 40% of them will get salbutamol at times. Mm. Um, there is currently no evidence that it will improve any outcome that's of significant to the family or the child. Mm. Uh, notably, the side effects of salbutamol are noticeable to the parents mm. and they do report the side effects, you know, the agitation, uh, the tachycardia, they can see the heart beating faster and so on. So where we can, we should avoid using salbutamol, even as a trial, to see if it makes any difference. Yeah, it's not always so much fun to give it either in the no, emergency department. It's very it? distressing for the yeah. child. All right, fantastic. And so even that transient benefit that you might think you see with salbutamol, that's not enough to warrant a trial? No, there's no evidence that that transient benefit, one, is predictable, or two, leads to a change in the need for oxygen, the length of stay in hospital, or any other clinical indicator of importance to the child. What about subgroups, someone with a strong family history of asthma or a recurrent wheezy child? What about in that population? Yes, even in those populations, the, the evidence is not as strong because there's not as much evidence, but to date there is not evidence of benefit even in those potentially higher risk populations. So the bottom line is we should take that out of our armoury for bronchiolitis. Yes, bronchiolitis. to time. Bronchiolitis care is very easy. You provide supportive care with oxygen and fluid and love. What if we're happy we don't need an X-ray, and here comes the meaty bit, but the patient has been referred in by, say, their GP and expects an X-ray? How would you handle that situation? Yeah, and I think the important thing for us to do is to spend time with mm -hmm. the family and spend time examining the child so the family sees us examine the child, interacting with the child, and then spend time talking with the family, explaining to them what we think the problem is, what the treatments available to us are, so supportive care in the case of bronchiolitis, and why there's no value in doing other tests. I think spending another two or three or five minutes with the family having a calm conversation, listening to their concerns and addressing them will remove lots of problems for us further down the track or the next presentation. Absolutely. And I think um, that's one thing that I think we really need to acknowledge is that sometimes doing the right thing takes us a lot more time, doesn't it, than just... Certainly up front. 
ordering yes. the tests. Yeah. yeah, more time up front, maybe overall more time, but it may actually save time overall. And what are your strategies to avoid undermining the GP in a, in a situation where a family has a good relationship with their GP and their GP has told them they're going to get a chest X-ray at the children's? How do you handle that situation? Look, I think the biggest thing in our favour there is time. And there's always a time difference from when the GP saw the child to when we saw the child. We don't know what the child looked like when mm. the GP saw this and made this decision. If we show that we've done a thorough examination of the child and taken a history and we're interested in the problem, we can then say what we find now is this. We're not quite sure what the child looked like or exactly why the GP made that request, but at this point of time, this is what we need to do. So something may well have changed. So sure. we, we don't need to address the fact that the GP may or may not have been wrong. I think there's no value in doing that. Yeah, absolutely. What about then the situation where perhaps you as an ED consultant are trying to admit a child to the ward and it's your colleagues that are asking you to do it, to perform a chest x-ray? How do you handle that? I think there's two parts to that. The colleague who's standing next to you who sees the child and is concerned, mm -hmm. then it's a discussion sure. about what is it that makes the concern. If it's pneumonia, why do we need a chest x-ray? Should we just treat the child with pneumonia? But if there are signs of bronchiolitis, and the child's not severely unwell, then the child has bronchiolitis. If it's a, a clinician on the other end of the phone, mm. um, I, I will have a... Yeah. yeah, correct, which it often is. I think we need to have a polite discussion and say, these are the signs I've seen, this is the way I interpret these. If they're not comfortable with my interpretation, then they need to see the child before sure. they make a decision about what they need to do. My experience is in most circumstances when they see the child, they would agree with your management. Mm. Yeah, sure. And I guess also there's the opportunity um, when you're the ED physician um, or more when you're the um, receiving registrar, if the ED doctors have not organised um, tests, then there's an opportunity there to reinforce that that's a good thing to do, too, yeah. isn't there? Look, I agree. I think there's the opportunity is to discuss the indications. So. Mm for education for everyone, um, including me. Um, but then yes, to, to thank people for following the clinical practice guideline, for doing what we think is the right thing. And yes, say, look, well done. You, you trusted your clinical judgment because you did a good thorough examination, took a good thorough history. And that's what we want our clinicians to do. Absolutely. So I guess there's a, a culture element there, isn't it? That it's not just about what tests you're doing, but what tests haven't you done and, and making sure we take time to reflect on, on the good things we're not doing as well as what we're doing. Yes, and I would rephrase that to say, I'd like to reflect on the good things we're doing because not doing things is actually doing something. It's yeah. a conscious decision. So we should reflect Correct. on our on the decisions we've made and the fact that we're making good decisions, yes. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Ed. I think just to summarise, we've talked about low-value care and how um, there are test treatments and procedures that don't do our patients much good, in fact, can cause harm, and that we can have some strategies up our sleeve. One of the most important of those is time and consciously doing nothing. Thank you. Thanks very much, Jo. Thanks for listening. Please view the description section below for more information on this topic. 
The Education Hub is a collaboration between the Royal Children's Hospital and the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics and funded by the RCH Foundation. 